Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Home Education Matters. Today I am joined by Holly Billinghurst from Teach All About It and we are going to be talking about computer science and IT provision because it's a slightly tricky one because obviously by nature of the subject it's very practical. So Holly first of all tell us a little bit about yourself and then we can launch into how you help home educators with this a subject that is actually normally very of interest to home educated children. Hello, hello. Um, Yes, so um, I am both a teacher and a home educator. Um, I was a classroom traditional teacher for 10 years before moving into um, tuition about five, six years ago. Um, I founded Teach All About It uh, mainly because I wanted to make sure that education was accessible. Um, I found that a lot of uh, students were dropping out from my subject uh, because they weren't able to actually access um, education, whether that was through school, whether it was home ed, but they weren't able to, to get hold of um, of the subject. Um, so I've been campaigning for students with uh, disabilities, with SEN, um, and sort of students in general as well, to be able to sit a variety of um, computer science subjects. So it's computer science and sort of techie, techie subjects that you specialize in? It is. Um, so I specialize in computing, which actually has three different strands. Um, you've got computer science, which is the maths, techie, uh, programming side. You have IT, which is the use of computers. And then you've got digital literacy, which is the sort of the standard use of computers, but also things like e-safety. Is the digital literacy, sorry, I struggled with that one this morning. Is the digital literacy, is that like the European computer, no, it's not called that anymore, the International Computer Driving Licence, is that the same kind of thing? ICDL is ICT, that would be your use of computers. Um, So digital literacy is more like keeping people safe online. Um, So e-safety covers things like um, what what would happen if you were being trolled online, how do you deal with it? Um, Cyberbullying, seeing inappropriate things online, age appropriateness. Um, I've just done a whole whole session with um, my key stage three students on things like gaming with PEGI ratings, um, understanding why actually it's illegal for a parent to buy a particular age rated game. Well, this sounds like a course that all children should take and perhaps that all parents should take as well, right? Yeah, there's some fantastic resources out there. Um, I am CEOP trained. CEOP is the um, online protection child agency essentially and they run some fantastic online resources. Um, there's age appropriate resources on there but there's some fantastic stuff in there for parents. So this digital literacy course, that's not a GCSE, I'm guessing, though. That's uh, that's like a qualification that, that they could maybe put on their CV or something like that. Absolutely. It's, it's more like a skills course. Um, so rather than having anything um, which is a, a GCSE or an A-level, digital literacy is an embedded skill, a little bit like sort of literacy is to English. And are all your courses online, because it must be quite difficult to do computer science and things like that online, because obviously you've got, you've got your student on a laptop somewhere else in the, in the world. <laughs> 
So 90% of my tuition is online. Um, online tuition is actually the best possible scenario for, uh, for computing, especially computer science, because we have tools which allow me to see them coding in real time. Um, we have these fantastic practical sessions where I'm able to put two students into a virtual uh, coding room together where they never have to see each other. They can see each other code um, and they can actually work together. Um, we, we call one the driver and the other one the navigator and then they swap around um, so you're able to work with other people like throughout the world. That sounds really nice so it's collaborative but maybe it's nice for for children who are maybe a bit shy or get a bit anxious so they don't actually have to sort of have their cameras on and, and eyeball each other but they can just see each other coding and help each other yep. out coding. Absolutely Lovely. and we have like a little chat facility that I'm monitoring as well. Do you access their laptop? Do you kind of take take over like take over controls of their laptop no no it's, it's all browser based uh, so i um i host the system um or we use an online system um so they log into it i can see everything that they're doing for safety and also to help them um but um no i can't touch their laptops so i don't get to control anything um, <laughs> and i don't give them control of mine either i bet can you imagine the mischief that a 14 year old would do on your laptop within about five minutes <laughs> log you out of everything for a start <laughs> so let's start from the beginning so if a child was interested in some sort of computer-based qualification and they're maybe 12 would you recommend a key stage three course or would you recommend some sort of starter course or would you just say look just launch into the GCSE at that point it's going to really depend on the, the individual learner because you know home education is going to be unique to that particular student it's even like two different um, kids in the same family are going to be utterly different so if you happen to have a 12 year old who's really really interested and really wants to engage with somebody else um, or just needs that little bit of, um, of help or assistance then courses are fantastic um, and key stage three courses can run from anything with like a, a live lesson every week um, to something which is pre-recorded um, alternatively if you've got a really independent learner who doesn't want to follow that kind of structure you could then just access um, some assistance online i'd always recommend trying to follow um, some of the key stage three because it gives you a really good foundation into gcse it does make it easier it makes it easier but is it a, is it sort of necessary are there things that are covered in key stage three that aren't covered in the gcse again it's not vital it's not vital. Um, and if you don't do key stage three and you want to just go straight into GCSE, um, as long as you've got the time um, and um, you're willing to do a little bit of, of research, because there is some assumed knowledge. Uh, the, the GCSEs, by the exam boards, they've been written with this idea that everybody's in school. Um, so when I was writing for Cambridge, um, I used to have lots of, of um, conversations with them. What about the home educated students? Um, what about students who have never come, come across this? Um, and there is going to be a natural assumption at, uh, at GCSE that they've done um, two or three years of study before this. I'm guessing when you were writing for the exam boards and you posed that question, they basically said, who cares? Shrug, shrug shoulders. No, who cares? no? did they care? No, no, they absolutely do. They absolutely do. Um, they are really starting to take on the concept of home education being quite a growing market. 
um, and they're now looking at their resources, not constantly referencing schools, which is fantastic. Um, yeah. That would be because when my son yeah. did German, all of the speaking and listening was all, you know, what's your school day like? You know, what sports do you play at school? And and it is very exclu exclusionary, you know. It's, mm. it's, although I understand, obviously, we've made a home educators have made a decision to remove ourselves from the mainstream, and so everything is is catered for the mainstream. So I try not to get too annoyed about it. <laughs> I think the IGCSE is becoming far more inclusive. Yeah, because I'm guessing, obviously, that's a lot of international schools. So they have to assume that there's people with all sorts of different experiences coming into it. Is it normally the IGCSE that people sit for computer science? Um, they're generally at the moment um, for GCSE level. IGCSE is probably still the easiest one to access. Um, OCR as a GCSE is absolutely um something that you can if you have the exam center to do so um, and if you have the ability to uh, spend a little bit of time with the provider just showing that you've done some programming um, it's no longer that you have to do this like big project for GCSE um, but you do have to have somebody to sign off to say yes you haven't just studied pseudocode so the GCSEs they are generally they have um, <clears throat> like a coursework element and the IGCSEs they just have a practical exam do they there's no coursework for OCR GCSE now. It is a 100% exam, but you do have to have a, a sign off to say that you have done some practical programming. Um, alternatively, I also teach a GCSE equivalent games design course, uh, which is 40% coursework. Um, so you do have to do that through a provider. Um, that's one of the OCR nationals. Um, and the iMedia is, is fantastic for, for kids who don't necessarily want to do computer science um but they're a little bit more arty um they want to do um more things they still want to code but maybe they want to code for a game um or in our case they definitely want to code for a game because that's an entire unit what's a gcse equivalent then is that like an lsfe or lcfe um, one of these so btech is the brand name for pearson um so ocr's BTEC equivalent um, is the OCR Nationals. Um, so they used to be Camtechs, um, but then they got told off because that was a bit too close to the brand. Um, so um, yeah, so you'll have OCR Nationals, which are essentially BTECs, but run through a different exam board. Then you've got BTECs, which are run through Pearson. Okay, and so BTEC generally equates across to one GCSE, does it? Yes. Yeah, so if you have yeah. a BSET level two, that is a GCSE equivalent of um, usually a five and above if you get the level two. And I'm guessing most colleges, most post-16 colleges would recognise a BTEC or whatever oh, that OCR national. Yeah, yeah it's, mo yeah. it's more OCR widely recognised than some of the level two courses, I'm guessing. It is, yeah. And that they're all part of, um, if you were at school, they, it would be part of your progress eight. So the, they, they would be um, recognised as, as part of like the school standards. That one you mentioned, the OCR one, that still has mm. an exam at the end of it, yeah? It the does. All, all vocational courses now have to have 40% coursework as the maximum, then 60% of the exam. All vocational courses need to have uh, the coursework element there. Um, but they have to have an exam as well. So there are a really, really small number which are on the old system of BTECs, which are still 100% coursework, um, but they will be phased out within the next sort of 18 months. Um, mm. They are very much against having 100% coursework, which is a shame because you know, some courses a shame. should be. Um, 
but why is um, that is that because they think it's a it's too easy or something or is that like a government thing that was a let's say that was a political decision a polit oh one of those mm. we won't go into those because you and i could be here for a quite long time discussing that <laughs> so let's take uh let's take a fictional character and he's he's going to be called actually it's going to be a girl uh she's going to be called deborah i think deborah's a nice name no, not enough deborah's around anymore okay so deborah she's 13 she loves computers and she's done some coding maybe scratch that kind of thing she's got a java book she finds it a bit hard i'm, I'm getting i'm getting into deborah now this is okay this is working and she doesn't want to do key stage three she's home educated and she wants to just go straight in mm -hmm. and she wants to do a gcse over a couple of years sit it when she's about 15 so what options are there available to her for gcse for, for like that kind of techie kind of thing okay so if Deborah was about to go into GCSE. So the IGCSE is probably going to be the route that is easiest to find uh, an exam centre for. And from that point, uh, there's a number of different options. You can self-study for IGCSE, no problem at all. If you've got the um, ability to find out that information, I would start with the specification so you know you're covering the right stuff. Yeah, now this um, would be my question. What specification options are there? Is it always computer science or could she do IT and what would be the bonus of doing IT? And is there such a thing as ICT anymore? Or is that So IT, ICT is pretty much interchangeable. It's the same sort of thing. So um, if, and you mentioned the Java book. So the minute you mentioned Java and programming, I'm going to assume it's computer science because there's going to be no programming in ICT. Yeah. ICT, uh, she's going to learn about business study skills. Um, she's going to learn how to use the um, probably, let's, let's face it, it's going to be the Microsoft Suite um, Office. Um, we're going to go Word, we're going to go PowerPoint. There's going to be some database work in there, which is incredibly mm. difficult, um, mm. but tons of fun. I have so much fun with, um, with databases, but that might just be me. It um, might just be you, Holly. It it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's spreadsheets in there, which again is um, very technical, um, and then um, website design as well. So it's really practical. So there's that's the ICT. Big practical exams, and then a theory one at the end. So that's the ICT IGCSE. And what that's what providers IGCSE. offer that? EdXL, I'm guessing. EdXL, uh, no. EdXL no, they don't do IGCSE. And Cambridge. Yeah. Um, and it's only those two. The Cambridge one appears to be less well supported now, which is a surprise, actually. Um, do you mean do, fewer exam centres offer it or do you mean not so many resources to help you through? Um, it is going to be actually a little bit of both. Mm. The ICT, because there is no GCSE option for ICT, um, a lot of the UK resources have essentially kind of dried up. Hmm. Um, ICT is not sat in uh, state schools at all. They've moved um, to computer science. There was a big push to move to computer science and then the ICT option has now become like a vocational option. So it's far more kind of coursework based. Um, so in this case, that Deborah's okay because she's probably a bit in the kind of coding side. Mm. So she's looked at her options and she's looked at IT, IGCSE, and she's thought, no, that looks a bit, you know, not for me. So now she's thinking, okay, I'm going to do IGCSE computer science. So now what are her, what are her options? So there are a number of providers that she could go to. Um, 
obviously I'm one of them, um, but uh, you don't have to. Uh, there, I would start with the example specification. So read through what it is that you need to go, go over, start coding as early as possible. The earlier you start learning um, a coding language and also double check in the specification which programming languages are allowed. For computer science IGCSE, is it Cambridge and edXL that offer that? For IGCSE, yeah, Cambridge and, and edXL. Is it the same coding languages that they use? Ah, okay, so it's not. So the um, the IGCSE with edXL is um, is a practical exam. Um, it's um, it's a lot more weighted towards um, the the kind of high level techie kind of programming side of things um there's a lot of lot of theory in there as well um i actually only teach the cambridge version mainly because i find it a lot um it's easier to spiral to a level so there's more time with the cambridge igcse to kind of look through the specification to spend time programming um without having to panic about that practical exam at the end um, and again same kind of issue because it's a practical exam very difficult to find that exam center edxl igcse that is a bit heavier from the sound of it and it has a mm. practical exam at the end of it it does yeah and the cambridge how is that assessed that is two written paper exams so you're going to have one on the theory one on the programming but it's programming theory so you're being asked a number of questions where you are essentially problem solving so if you are of that uh, that kind of mindset of oh here is a a problem for me to solve um, and you quite like puzzles that exam is probably one of the most enjoyable exams you can do um, because it's really logical um, and um, and you can go through and go, oh, actually, you know, this is the, the right answer, but I could give like four other answers that will also be correct as long as I'm logically right. So the Cambridge IGCSE, they don't touch a computer for the exams? They don't, know, But they do weird. all the way through. Um, yeah. We have like coding challenges right from like week one. Um, they will need to be um, manually writing Python, which is a little strange, or whatever language they happen to be using. Um, so we use Python because it's the one that the actual exam board used to write the course. So it, it's almost like a, a natural way of, of teaching coding. Um, same kind of thing for the A-level is that um, OCR have actually developed the course around the Python programming language. Um, and everything else where you can have C sharp, you can have PHP, you can have all, all sorts of other programming languages, um, but they've then translated it into, um, into that one. So um, for the IGCSE, the Cambridge IGCSE, you implied there that you don't have to use Python, that you can use another program programming mm -hmm. language. So how would you sit one exam, how would you sit an exam and do, and answer in a different programming language? So it asks you what kind of programming languages that you're using. Um, you have a choice that you could use. So if you wanted to use Visual Basic, they still accept that. And then what happens is that when you have examiners who are marking them, they see what programming language you have used as they scan the papers and they send it out to the people who happen to be able to program in that language. So the questions are generic enough that you could they answer are. in. So it's things like if you've got an issue, you want to produce this thing what what code would you write and then you just write your own preferred code oh, okay so deborah who maybe is interested in java 
<laughs> you, I really am a bit of a dunce at this subject, so you, you have to bear with me. So oh, okay. Java is a language, right? Java is a programming language. Mm -hmm. So, so she she wants to do that. So she would perhaps choose the Cambridge IGCSE because she wants to do Java. But would the Edexcel IGCSE would that also allow her to do that if she wanted to do Java? So if you want to work out what programming language um, that you can use my strongest recommendation is to look at the latest version of the specification in the first sort of five pages they will have a list of acceptable programming languages yeah. so especially for edxl because it's going to be practical they have to develop a practical set for each programming language um, they will say you can use this this and this uh, python tends to be in there vb tends to be in there c sharp is almost always in there um, Java occasionally. Java is, is a, a, a decent programming language um, to, to start off with, um, but it's not very well supported by a lot of the examiners, um, which is really interesting because it used to be something that was just a, a natural thing to study in, in the degree. It's just gone Google. out of favour. Mm. A lot of programming languages, they, they kind of come and go. Um, it, it depends on, on which one happens to be um, like the, the most exciting one at the time. Um, but the big thing to remember is that once you've learned to program in one language, it's not like a spoken language where the, the, the syntax, the grammar and spelling of your language changes wildly between languages. Once you've learned the logic of, of one language, to translate it into a second one and a third one, um, is actually a lot easier because the logic remains. It's just the words that have changed. Hmm. Um, so when I introduce myself to a lot of students, um, I will explain to them, yeah, I program in seven different programming languages, which sounds really exciting and really, really clever. Um, but actually what I did is I learned one really well and I've translated it into. Which, which one did you learn first? Um, <laughs> so I didn't actually program until I started my degree. Um, because I like a challenge. Um, and so my first programming language was C++, um, which is a bit of a baptism by fire. Um, and I think it's really helped with teaching and tutoring because I'm able to say to my students, my first term, I spent just crying into my keyboard um, and questioning every life choice I'd ever made um, <laughs> because it was really hard. And all of these people around me had done um, either IT at A level because I'm terribly old um, or, or they'd been programming for some time. Um, and so when I walked into this classroom and I was like, mm, C++, I'm sure I can do this. Um, my lecturer at the time um, looked at me and went, oh, you can't do that. You've never programmed before. And I took it as a challenge mm. um, and was like, nope, absolutely not. Um, and um, yeah, so when they are finding it really difficult, I'm absolutely able to empathize with them because I remember the pain. Um, actually, my first I would say good programming language. I wasn't that good at C sharp at C plus plus was C sharp. Um, I moved on quite quickly to C sharp. I taught myself C sharp for my dissertation, um, and that's what I was professionally developing in um, in my first programming role. So theoretically, once you learn the bare bones of like you know brackets and you know, <laughs> I'm really out of my depth with this one. So there are three kind things of thing. you learn. Yeah, there are three things you learn um, and they're called the constructs. Imagine you are a builder and you are constructing a house. So you've got sequence, which is the order which your code goes in. Mm -hmm. You've got selection, which is do I run this code at all based on true or false? 
And then you've got iteration. Iter is a Latin word for again. So iteration is to repeat something. So you've got sequence, selection, iteration, and you build those together in these building blocks, a bit like Scratch, building blocks mm. to, to make your coding. Mm. Um, so if you can code in Scratch, you can code in Python. And if you can and code if you in Python, code you Python. can code in C-sharp. Yeah, I get you. I get you. And most children, they do Scratch early on, don't they, at primary and things like that? Scratch is fantastic. You can't do Scratch for GCSE, I'm guessing, though. You can't use Scratch as your GCSE coding language. However, even at university level, you would use Scratch as a, um, as a, a development tool um, to kind of give yourself a top level idea of how something will work. Oh, so like a kind of play mm. it out. Oh, yeah. that's nice. That's nice. It's nice to know people are <laughs> all these undergrads still doing a bit of scratch. That's quite cute. So we've got we've got Deborah, and Deborah is going to do the IGCSE Cambridge mm -hmm. in computer science, and she's going to she's going to do Java just because she she's old school. <laughs> so she's she's decided that she wants to self study. Because, mm -hmm. you know, she, parents don't have a lot of money. They don't want to pay for a course. So would she buy a textbook? Um, yeah, she can. She can also have a look on YouTube. There's some amazing stuff on YouTube. You, you can go in there. There's lots of people who have who've uploaded things. There's lots of stuff in the old specification because um, it changed for the summer uh, of 2022. That was the first new exam. So actually, we've got no past papers at the minute, which is a little scary. Mm. Um, but there's lots of stuff on um, on there. There are free resources that people will put out. Um, I would probably recommend parents have a look on TES mm -hmm. because quite often um, teachers will share things. You're likely not going to get like the whole specification. Um, Cambridge, again, on their website, are going to say these are the books you should buy. Um, and they will they will generally give you an idea of whether they're the new or the old spec. Uh, edXL will do exactly the same. They have a list of these are our resources. Um, I think if you're self-studying, I would, as a parent, feel more comfortable having the book to refer mm. to. And that's certainly what we did when we were um, we were running through the GCSEs. Um, we had the textbooks so that we had at least something to refer to um, and feel a little bit more confident. Okay. And is the Cambridge IGCSE, is that examined in most exam centres? Is that fairly accessible? It is pretty accessible. Okay, um, so so Deborah's okay. So Deborah's she's sat her IGCSE computer science, and uh, we're going to come back to Deborah in a minute for mm -hmm. A levels because she she loves she loves it. So she's going to go on to A levels. But her little brother, mm -hmm. he's called Donny. That's that's a good name as well. That's, that's an you excellent can name. You, I'm showing my age now, though, because wasn't Donnie in a band in the 1970s? I'm sure the Bay City Rollers had a Donnie in it. It was an Osmond, mm. wasn't it? Donnie Osmond. Yeah, maybe that's where it's coming from. Anyway, Donnie. <laughs> Donnie. Now, he um, doesn't really like studying and is not very self-motivated, but really likes, um, really likes gaming. Uh, but his parents really want him to have a a GCSE in, in something that vaguely sort of like helps him sort of do that. But he wants, he wants to do like gaming. So he wants some sort of gaming course, but he all, his, his parents want him to do a GCSE. Um, but he wants a nice easy GCSE, doesn't want to do any coding. So what do we do about Donnie? Donnie's, okay. Donnie's, I don't know, he's 12. Okay, so Donnie's a little bit younger. Um, I would recommend, in fact, I'm going to pick up one of my badges at this point, um, which 
obviously we're a podcast, so it's really difficult to see. Um, but <laughs> it's almost this, impossible, in fact. <laughs> it inc- absolutely. Um, but this is one of the badges I'm posting out to one of my students today. Um, this is an idea badge. Um, so idea is online. It's completely free. It is essentially like the digital um, Duke of Edinburgh award. Um, and you can go through bronze, uh, silver and gold. So bronze is like that, that sort of age, that entry level age group. And you can do all these badges. You pick up the points so they could be IT. This is where your digital literacy comes in. Um, and there's also lots on there about games design. Um, you pick the badges you want to do, you earn the points um, and they will send you a certificate to say that you've completed it. Um, silver is um, GCSE equivalent level, but it's not a, it's not a GCSE. It's really important to remember that it, this is because it's a um, I want to say it's a point and click course. That sounds really un, uh, unpleasant. It's not. It's really they're lovely. I love them. Um, but you've then got gold, which they've only just released, um, and that's A level standard. Um, and there's loads of stuff on there about artificial intelligence. Um, but the bronze award for Donny would be fantastic because that's going to give him an idea of what it is like to study games design um, before he sets himself up for like a whole two year course. Okay, so um, so that's called idea, idea, I D E A, and that's online. That's something all that you online. Okay, so Donnie's um, done that. No tutoring, no live lessons for those. Is it is it expensive, by the way? It's free. Okay, so okay, great. Absolutely. So Donnie's parents are very happy now. So Don, Donnie's done that, <laughs> and he's now fourteen, and he loves games design. His parents still want him to get a GCSE, but he still doesn't want to do any coding. And he wants someone who holds his hand through the whole thing. He's not going to self-study. So what are, what are his options? Okay, this is when you go to a provider. So you've done your idea course. You've, you've done a little bit. You understand what the course is actually all about. Um, and we know by this point that Donnie is not just sort of into, um, into games design, but actually quite into art as well. Um, so part of the iMedia, which is the OCR National, um, is going to be you're going to start off with graphic design um, and in there um, last term we designed a Pokemon um, that was that was our practice task um, everybody had their graphics tablet um, and we were learning about how to use um, artists tools on online so everyone use it we use Krita um, again it's free it means that everyone can download it it's cross-platform um, so everyone's like drawing their amazing Pokemons, learning about layers and shading. Um, and, and, and I have a fantastic time with that because I get to take off my computer science hat and put on my artist hat. Um, and then we take those concepts and move them into games design. So when you go into games design, you've got two different types of people. You've got the developers, the programmers, um, and then you've got the artists who are then um, developing their characters. And this allows them to do both. Mm. So before they go into A-level and specialise, at this point, it's not even A-level, it's, it's a, I would recommend the UEA um, route for this one. Um, you can try University both. of East Anglia? It's <gasps> at University, no, I can't remember. <laughs> it's, um, it's the the arts council basically okay. uh, which is like a level three it's the um it is, this is one of those 100 percent coursework um wonderful things that you can do at college lots of art colleges run them um if you're doing fine arts you're probably doing one of those courses yeah, um great. and the games design course is part of that now 
Okay, so let's uh, so let's go back to Donny's OCR National. Now, this yeah. the OCR National is basically OCR's version of Edexcel's BTEC. Um, yes. So you're yeah. going to do two units of coursework, which you have to do with your provider. These um, get set up. Now, you have to be able to authenticate that coursework. So um, I need to know my students are there. Um, we've been running a few different things because I've got almost every student who comes to me doesn't like cameras. They don't want to be sharing their cameras with everybody. Um, so we've, we've worked out that actually um, the system that I use with um, with my version of Zoom, um, I can put it on focus mode, which means that they can see my camera. I can see them. Nobody else gets to see each other, which makes them much more comfortable. Hmm. A couple of them will switch their camera on, give me a wave, switch it off, and then give me another wave at the end so I know it's still them. Um, and again, just I'm in case their the parents camera. had snuck in to do the coursework. <laughs> I have to sign it to say, yes, this is definitely them. So, you know, I need to. Have, have, the chance have, of a parent being better at anything to do with tech than their child is pretty much zero, isn't it? <laughs> it's, Apart from it's you, Holly. It's definitely low. It's definitely low, <laughs> but it's not, it's not completely 100% not going to happen. Um, so, yeah. Um, and it's, it's something that I can then say to them, okay, well, for this lesson, we're going to, I'm going to watch you. To, create your character or we're going to use a Google Doc and you're going to show me lots of screenshots um, of what you're doing. Um, and then when we get into games design, we use a thing called Game Maker, um, which gives them the option of not coding um, or rather coding in more sort of like a scratch way rather than um, having to manually type it in. Um, it's still quite complicated, um, but they're, they're the handheld all every step of the way. So we have 12 lessons of, of recorded things that I can re refer them back to and go, can you remember how to jump off a platform? If not, let's go back to lesson four, go and have a, have a watch of that video. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then we have 12 weeks of coursework. So Donny's excited by his by his OCR national, and he's does he can he complete that in a year or is that a two year course? It has to be a two year course because of the sheer volume of coursework. Um, unfortunately, what happens is that one coursework unit leads on from the next. So the games design unit actually takes a lot of the concepts of the graphic design unit, which is where you're designing your characters, you're creating your uh, concept sketches and things like that. Um, and that assumed knowledge then gets pushed into games design. And can you sit that at any time of year? Can you join the course at any time of year or does it start September? September start, yeah. Mm -hmm. We interrupt this broadcast to remind you to like and subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to join our Home Education Matters Facebook group where you can find details on all our podcasts, any links or resources mentioned, chat to our guests, request upcoming podcasts, and even come on the podcast yourself. Do join us over there. Okay, so Donnie is doing his OCR National two years. He's very happy. Now, um, Deborah, she wants to do A-level. So mm -hmm. what are her options then for doing A-level? Something to do with computers and coding, basically. Okay, so if Deborah had gone the IT route, if that had been her thing and she really enjoyed IT, had maybe done the, the IGCSE or maybe done a level two ICDL, she could have then moved on and done either the international A-level for ICT. Um, and again, it's really, really rare, but it's there. <laughs> So if you can find an exam centre, it's a very good A-level um, and fantastic for, for actually going out and working. Um, it's got some, some really good practical skills there. Um, there are or, exam centres in the UK that offer it, but they're just yeah. maybe just not, not easy to find. Yeah, hen's teeth. 
um, <laughs> or there is the level three ICDL, which is called the advanced ICDL, and it's actually worth UCAS points. Um, it is an A-level equivalent. Yep. Um, I want to quote how many, but I can't quote remember how many. In fact, I can. I can. I'm slightly obsessed by UCAS points, so tell me how many. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Um, right. So our 24 UCAS points. That does equate to an A level, level, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Yeah. That is an okay. A level. So um, would you need to have done the level two to do the level, level three? Okay, so you could just do a level three ICDL. Okay, but yeah. she doesn't want to do that. But no. but that is very interesting. And um, that's easier to sit because you can sit that with the provider of the ICDL and you can do your exams from home. Is it two years, that one? Or does no. it is it however no, long that, you that however long you want to? That's fascinating. And it's really um, flexible as well. So that's nice. Units. Yeah, that's very nice if you wanted to get extra UCAS points, but mm. maybe not sit an A level, isn't it? Yeah, that's good mm. to know. But Deborah, she's a coding girl. So what's she going to do? Well, she has two <laughs> options. A level, there is basically two options. AQA don't accept private candidates um, for their A level, which is real shame Ooh, because hiss. it's fantastic. Um, and it's because they release um, a lot of uh, like pre-release material and it's very difficult. You have to keep it safe and secure mm. so that they have these they don't trust issues. Us. No. Um, <laughs> I, I'm so sad. It's such a good qualification. Mm. But the alternatives um, at the moment are CIE. Again, Cambridge have an international um, A level. Um, that's practical in year two. So you have four exams for that one. You're going to have two for the AS, mm. um, which are both papers, and then you have uh, two for the A2, which is like the old system of A levels. So it's um, modular in that way. So you it sit, is modular. Yeah. Okay. So you sit two exams in the first year, two exams in the and second then two year. Two exams in the second year. Um, if you want to sit that in a year, you can, but you still have to sit four exams. And that's the computer science. International, international A level yeah. with Cambridge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing to be aware of is that a lot of exam centres, again, they've removed that qualification because of the practical exam, because you have to have IT people on site. It's it, it's become quite a difficult one to sit. Mm. Um, I know Fairgoes have, have been in contact with me recently to say they've removed that. They're now offering OCR. What can we help? Um, so OCR is the other one. Um, okay, so but before so Fairgos, so that is the home education sort of based exam centre down in Hampshire, right? It is, yes. Okay, yes. and so Deborah's parents, you know, they're busy. They want it nice and easy. They don't want to be searching around for an exam centre. Mm -hmm. So what what's the nice straightforward option? The nice straightforward do? one is OCR. Um, okay. OCR is I've I've taught this since. 2009 since it was computing um i feel very old um so, wise uh, and experienced absolutely wise and experienced wizened um, <laughs> so, um ocr is, is, is a lovely course it's been going for a really really long time the only issue that home ed um, people will find with this is that there is a coursework element 20 percent of it is a practical uh, piece of coursework um with a huge write-up um something that i if there are any home ed parents listening um who are considering a level for computer science and you're thinking ocr please please get in contact with a provider in, in the first year rather than um this this time um because it is six months of coursework and you need somebody to monitor you all the way through so, so they can't just come at the end to say my daughter's done 
you know, six months no. worth, can you sign it off? No, you Absolutely need to be signing no. off all the way through. All the way through. And and you can't do it in eight weeks. Um, it, it needs to be done over a set number of months because you're actually doing a real life, um, almost like a simulation of working for, um, for a development company. You're going to design, develop, test, and then get some evaluation, go back again and do like this iterative nice. development cycle. It's amazing. It's so much fun. And you get to choose what you want to do. So you can you choose, choose the language program. as well, really. Uh, so yes. Deborah's yeah. happy with her Java at this stage. Deborah likes Java. Deborah can absolutely one hundred percent do Java. Um, Deborah wants to um, to do Java for for the the A level, and then suddenly decides for her project. But actually, she fancies learning um, some C sharp because she wants to use uh, say Unity for a bit of games programming because her brother's showing her. Um, the kind of yeah, maybe they're going to collaborate, make their own game. Um, so she decides to use that. Her tutor is then going to need to monitor um, all the way through. Um, and there are a couple of options that, that they can use for this. So they might be with a provider who, where that's included. So um, for mine, I run um, 10 workshops through the what, what we call the year two um, because some do want to just do AS. Um, and those workshops, you come in, you show, um, show me what you've been doing. I, I am then aware of who you are and I get to know your code because somebody's coding is a bit like their fingerprint or their, their handwriting. You recognize it. Um, it's really, really unique to you. Um, so if you've lifted something, or I don't know, of a certain um, AI, um, then we're going to notice. <laughs> it's really obvious if we know you. Um, Alternatively, you can get work, go and work one to one with a tutor um, and they will monitor you. But whoever it is um, needs to be linked with your exam center. So right. They need to, to get it signed off. Mm -hmm. um, and um, because it's coursework marking um, and authentication, they need to be a qualified teacher. Um, yeah. So for A level, it sounds like you can do it, but you need you need external assistance to do it. You need a tutor or a course provider. But for GCSE, for the IGCSE, mm -hmm. you can self-study, but then you just need to find the exam center to sit, uh, which didn't, didn't sound too too problematic. Okay, so Deborah's sorted. She's got herself her A-level. She's happy. Donnie's happy. And then um, the third child comes along. You know, why not? Excellent. And, <laughs> and this third child um what do they want to do what are they going to be called they'll they'll be called dylan and dylan they quite like perhaps dylan likes just gaming not the development dylan, dylan just mm. likes playing games dylan just likes <laughs> minecraft mm -hmm. dylan's always trying to sneak onto fortnite dylan mm. you know turn your back and they're they're on a game gaming mm is everything for Dylan. How can Dylan's parents utilize Dylan's love of gaming to get some sort of qualification? So Dylan's got a couple of things that, that they should be doing. Um, first of all, they should absolutely be doing some kind of digital literacy that they need e-safety because a lot of these games are now online. They're going to be talking with people. They might be talking with people they don't know. So e-safety is parents like top priority, especially if the parents aren't particularly techie themselves. You want to make sure that you are learning about what's going on. Um, if you want to go and find a provider who's offering um, e-safety, fantastic. If you want to go, just go and have a look, uh, thinkyouknow.co.uk. That's your first port of call because that will give think, you all think of, you know. 
yeah, think you know, think you know. Um, is is wonderful. It's a really really good resource for parents, um, and it will give you uh, the the up to date information about online gaming um, and how to keep people safe. Um, however, if you want to get a qualification, um, that kind of thing there there are now um, e-game courses. You know, there are esports um, courses for level two, level three. Um, there are esports degrees now where you can go um, and it's uh, it's not just playing games. Um, anywhere you go, we're going to say to you, you're not here to play games, although esports will be. Uh, but it, for them, it's like event organization. Um, so what do you need in terms of technical um, areas for like, if you're going to do an esports or, or even if you're going to be a streamer, what kind of hardware, software do you need? Do you understand how to edit your sound? Um, do you understand how to do the marketing to get this kind of event? If you're going to be a streamer, you need income. So how are you going to generate your income? What are you going to do for your merchandise? Um, that kind of thing. And so actually, it's like business studies, but with some gaming in it. That's interesting because Dylan wants to be a streamer. So what qualification could they get then that would be like, okay, this is going to support Dylan doing their streaming? So they're quite niche, um, but there are definitely uh, esports out there. So um, you would want to be searching for esport um, instead of computing or instead of mm. games design or development. Um, they're all very different strands um, of the same kind of digital area. So um, if Dylan wants to stream Minecraft, does that count as esports? I thought esports was just like driving cars in Sims and things. So when we use the word esport, what it means is that you are competing against others. So if you are in a Minecraft stream with other people um, and you know you happen to take up your sword and bash somebody with it, that's an esport. You are in <laughs> combat. Um, esport could be um, running a live stream um where you are um talking about your game um it the word sport is a bit misleading um <laughs> but it just it's kind of no other real word for it at the minute um it tends to be competitive gaming mm. and for those ones the one thing to obviously to be very aware of is a lot of these esports courses need to be age appropriate so go and talk if you are going with a provider go and talk to them uh, make sure that the games that they're going to be introducing are going to be um, age appropriate for your child especially with home ed where we don't really work on age groups we just mm. work on on their ability um, you might find and th this happens with things like film studies as well you might actually find that um, you've got a child who's, who's a little bit younger but incredibly um, academically gifted who can actually go much higher um, but now they're being exposed to things that maybe aren't of their maturity level um, I find, find interestingly in a very old school kind of way i found that with my children's reading because they both mm. read very early and they had a very high reading age that i found that i was then having to remove remove books that they could easily read just because it was just it just the content was too adult yeah they cover themes that, that aren't quite mm. enough um i know for film studies there's one called attack the block which it's it's not a horror but it's it's a difficult one for for younger ones to watch mm. um and 
especially for things like gaming, that then becomes a, a more of a conversation for, for parents because you know if you're going to play Call of Duty, it's an 18 for a reason. Mm. Um, yeah, I only need to listen to the language for five minutes and go, whoa, I don't think so. Um, um, and it's not it's not really to do with with things like the language. If you look at the PEGI ratings, they will actually tell you using some of the um, the, the bits underneath so that they have like these little logos and it will tell you why it's an 18. So quite often there'll be uh, drug references or mm. there will be, um, um, they, they call it inappropriate violence, which is a weird thing to say. Um, As opposed to appropriate violence. Appropriate <laughs> violence. This one was absolutely justified. Um, <laughs> so the, the inappropriate violence is um, things like, it's just there. There, there's no like storyline building up to it mm. um, or it's not cartoon violence so you'll you'll quite often find cartoon violence um in much younger games so like sevens mm. you'll have cartoon mm. violence um but you can talk to your, your your young people about that um whereas you know going around say june is a really good example um where you are just blowing up zombies um, and you get extra points for 50 headshots um <laughs> Oh, I'm so lucky that neither of my two like those kind of games because just it's they just sound so horrible. But I suppose I think maybe in some ways people. teens they just they work through stuff maybe by by playing these games they kind they of work, work like you know work through things that they're I don't know I and guess it's better they do them, it on the teamwork. screen they they mm. are um, they're able to to sort of test out different scenarios. It's a bit like sim you know simulation of the real world. Mm. Um, some of them clearly not a simulation of the real world, but um, they, and there's problem solving and puzzle, there's all sorts of things about gaming actually being incredibly good if it's age appropriate. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's so from what I can gather, <clears throat> and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, there seem to be three main routes. You can do the alternative provision route where you perhaps do um, gaming courses mm -hmm. and then the the BTEC, the BTEC equivalent, the OCR National. Um, so not GCSEs, but but still courses and alternative, still, yeah, exactly, qualifications. Yeah. And then you've got the ICDL route, which you can go all the way through to sort of level three, which is equivalent to A level and gets you UCAS points. And you can do level one, level two, level three. And that's very practical based. We'll help you when you get to the Absolutely. workplace, that kind of thing. And then you've got the third option, which is the the sort of what I call the standard option, which is IGCSE and international A level. And that's mainly Cambridge seems to be the one that's easiest to access. So Cambridge, definitely for IGCSE. Um... And then for A level, OCR. OCR. That's right. Um, yeah, so we, we almost go international and then then UK based. Um, it, it will change as they change the specifications, um, well, which is... I'm sure they will do again soon. They like doing that as much as possible. Absolutely, don't they? keep people on their toes. So we've sorted out Deborah, Donnie, and Dylan. I'm very happy with that. I reckon one of those three scenarios, our listeners will will be like, "Yeah, okay, that's that's my child," or maybe their child has no interest at all in computer studies. I mean, my children's yeah. father is a computer studies teacher, and neither of them have done anything. Ah, they've, they've rebelled. In, <laughs> I know they've done nothing at all to do with laptops or any, any kind of tech yeah. use. So, um, okay, so Holly, where can our listeners find you because you provide you provide the international a level you also provide the igcse and i'm guessing you do i think you mentioned some of the other courses as well so tell us a little bit what you provide and where our listeners can find you 
Okay, so I offer ICDL from level one all the way up to level three, um, including the exams. Um, I run a key stage three course. Um, actually, I run two key stage three courses. Um, I do the IGCSE for Cambridge um, and the OCR for A-level. Um, and I also run the games design for, um, for OCR Media, uh, iMedia, which is the, the, the vocational games design course. So all of those are over at teachallaboutit.uk. Um, there's also a teachallaboutit.school. So if you happen to be on a blue site, go and have a look for the yellow one. Um, <laughs> the yellow one is the, is the tuition and the courses. Uh, blue is for schools. I also run some uh, free online help on Facebook. Um, I have a Facebook group, uh, which is called Key Stage 3 IGCSE and A-Level Computer Science for Home Education. I know that is a huge mouthful. Um, <laughs> you need an acronym. Need I an do. Acronym. I need an acronym for the whole thing. Um, but yeah, so that it's, you know, we're, we're into the search terms at that point. Um, but yeah, so so I, tell us that Facebook group name again. It is Key Stage 3 I, IGCSE and A-Level Computer Science for Home Education. Um, so on there, parents can post their questions. Uh, we've got a couple of group experts. Um, it's essentially, it's open to any parent who is self-studying, who is part of a group, um, who just wants a little bit of extra help, um, who needs any, any kind of questions answered. Um, and quite often towards the exam, I'll be posting things like revision help. Um, and the little YouTube help videos um, that as we roll up to the exams uh, are always quite useful. I think it's really nice to have a home educator providing courses for home educated children because I think I think it has that kind of nuance. You sort of understand the the really core values at the root of home education, the, this idea of sort of freedom and flexibility in a, a children taking responsibility for their own learning so it's it's yeah. really nice that, you, that you're able to reflect that back in your in your provision yeah and i think having watched both of mine go through the igcse route has been really helpful um and both of mine are now key stage five um and one is zooming towards adulthood um so having seen them go through that journey um i'm able to give maybe a little bit more uh, support to parents to sort of say that i understand where you are right now especially when you're brand new to it it's all a bit overwhelming and it's a it, it's okay to take a breath um and and also to not feel guilty for using the the resources that work for you so if a course doesn't work for you, that's fine. No, nobody needs to judge you for that. Um, exactly, and if you're using yeah. providers for everything, again, you know, no judgment here. It's yeah. um, we're all unique. This is this is very much something I sort of repeatedly bang on about in the podcast is that you you do it the way that works for you and your family, and there's mm. nobody who can tell you that you're doing it wrong. The LA may try to tell you you're doing it wrong, but they can't. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, yeah, I mean, in actual fact, I just did a podcast. Uh, uh, which I think I'm probably going to name after a Taylor Swift song called Call It What You Want, uh, where we talk about all the different approaches to home education. And we came up with 26 of them. And it just goes to show that there's so many different routes you can take and they're all just as valid uh, as long as it works for you and your child. So thank you so much, Holly. That was wonderful today. Thank you. And thank you for thank telling you for us all. Me. Thank you for guiding Deborah, Donnie and Dylan through their educational process. <laughs> and do come on our Facebook group. And so if there's any listeners who want to ask you any questions, Holly will be on our Facebook group. And you can come and uh, see her links for her businesses, but also any other links that she's got that might be helpful for 
maybe TES resources or YouTube channels or anything like that. And Holly will be on our Facebook group so you can come and ask her any questions. Thank you so much, Holly. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day. Bye.